Welcome to everyone watching online. Salam alaikum. May God be with you. It's so good that you're joining us. Thank you so much. Really, really value the fact that you're joining us for this. I hope you're blessed. And uh, now I'm going to deal with the troublemakers in the room. Um, right. Well, time moves on really quickly, doesn't it? So quickly. And um, these are very exciting times. These are very, very exciting times. Uh, I've just got to mention this in some way. This is so weird because I've just about got used to this. And this is actually my last live stream service. So, ha <laughs> ha! How weird is that? Right. I will try and behave myself. It's not a promise, it's a sort of uh, intention. Um, okay. Right. God is so good. God is. It's so good. Hallelujah. Right. Okay, focus. We're talking, or I'm talking, Luke chapter 20. Okay, so we're on chapter 20 today. And um, as you know, we, uh, when the elders and myself, we, we go, go to the Word and we just look through. We're not doing, doing the whole chapter. Some of these chapters are huge. We're just trying to see what the Lord is saying. And so often, uh, we find that the Lord speaks into particular situations. And that's the incredible thing about the Word in a personal way and in a corporate way. That happens so much. And um, Woody, you may think, I'm going to give you a warning now, you may think that I've chosen this passage because it's about church and changes in church and the challenge of that. And I haven't, to be honest. I was led, th this is just what we're doing next. And so I'm grappling, and I hope you're going to take this away and grapple, with what I believe the Lord is saying to us now in this. Okay, so we're in, we're in Luke chapter 20, and now we're in the final weeks, the final week, really, of the Lord's ministry. And when you look at the Gospels, they all spend a lot of time, not surprisingly, looking at this time. Proportionally, some of the Gospels, I got almost a third looking at this time. It's really, really important, this, this final week, the culmination of the ministry of Christ. And it's been a been an interesting week already. Jesus walked 80 miles or so from Galilee, and he's come to Jerusalem. And it's all heading now to the massive climax. So where has, whereas he's been sort of keeping a low profile and just sort of, you know, uh, you know, saying, well, don't tell people about me, through the three years leading up to this, he's now full stage center spotlights. To the point where, even though he's walked 80 miles from from Galilee, staying uh, in Beth, Bethany, just outside Jerusalem. It's just a mile or two outside the city. But one day he arranges for animal transport to get into the city. After walking 80 miles. Why is that? Because he's sending a message. He comes in on a donkey. And there's a, there's a prophecy in Zechariah 9, which is, Behold your king, Jerusalem, coming to you on a donkey. It's a very deliberate act. Very, very deliberate act. And it also has an echo of when David, during the Absalom rebellion, came back to the city came to the city. He was on a donkey. There's the whole thing about a king being on a donkey. It's this amazing picture of power and humility. And go and look it up. So, cracking on, what does he do when he gets into Jerusalem? He goes to the temple and he clears the temple out and he says, you've made my house. What? Your house? A den of, 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 of thieves. That's a massive... He's not looking for a quiet life now. He rolls up on a donkey. He nearly causes a riot. People are telling him, can you shut all these people up? And then he rocks into the temple and starts turning tables over. And it blows our mind. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, getting a, a rope. And you know what I'm saying? I'm not having this. It's all him saying, a change is coming. 
This age is finishing. Messiah is here. Right. The other thing that's going on is instead of him hiding away, he's going to the temple courts every day. He's almost looking for the confrontation. He is looking for the confrontation. Now, the Pharisees are in a tricky position. What they're trying to do is get someone else to deal with the problem of Jesus, really. Although they've talked about killing him. What they want to do is ask him questions so that in his answer, if he says, for instance, if he says uh, anything against Caesar, this will make a lot of sense when you look at the questions. If he says anything against Caesar, they don't have to do anything. They go to the Romans and say, there's a guy over here speaking against Caesar. They just leave it to the authorities. If he says something that seems to draw too much um, attention to himself in terms of God, like I, I, I am the great prophet or whatever, they just say to the people, oh, listen to this fella. So they're trying out of his own mouth to get him to condemn himself. That's why there are so many of these question and answer things and he answers in parables. Because they can't go to the Romans and go, there's a guy over there told the story and we think that this thing means this and that thing means that. And the Romans like, yeah, we're, we're good, carry on. Do you see, do you see what he's doing? It's, it's, this game is going on. So, let's read Luke 20. Hope that gives you a bit of context. And um, I'm going to calm down in a minute. Uh, oh, honestly, study the word. Oh, man, it's just awesome. Right. Luke 20. One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and teachers of the law, together with the elders came up to him. Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? See what I've just said, that right there. He replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or was it of human origin? They go off. They discussed it among themselves and said, hmm, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know. We don't know where it was from. Jesus said, neither will I tell you the authority by, by, sorry, by what authority I am doing these things. He went on to tell the people a parable. So keep the picture. The elders, they're off to the side now. They're seething over here. And now he's talking to the people with this parable, but really aiming at them. A man planted a vineyard. He rented it to some farmers, and he went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him, and they sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him, and they threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, 
they said, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and he will give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid! Jesus looked directly at them. He asked, then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. Right. Hallelujah. Okay, let's have a think about this. Okay, I've already explained what the, what the Pharisees are trying to do there, and you, hopefully you will have seen that. They want him to condemn himself so they can just say that he said this. Either way, the people reject him, or the Romans deal with him. They haven't got to deal with him. But they realize, as you see at the end there, he's turned it around, and he's actually he, he, he's given a really clever answer about the attitude of John, which put them on the defensive. But in the parable, he says a whole lot more, a whole lot more. Now, this, this parable, this story, it's a lot more of an allegory than most of the parables. Most of the parables, you've really got to extract the truth. Parables are not doctrine. They have truth within them that you have to find and you have to work it out. And that's the fantastic thing about the parables. There's different depths. This story is much more of an allegory in that the different things in the story, the different people um, relate to real situations. So the vineyard is a picture of Israel right through the Old Testament, particularly in Isaiah. It refers, God refers to his people as his vineyard, and he is the owner. So that's the second thing. So the first thing is the vineyard is Israel. The owner is God. The tenants are the Jewish leaders, really more than the people, the leaders. The servants that were sent, that were killed, were the prophets. The son, no prizes for this, is Jesus. And the others, and this is the biggie, really, are the Gentiles. Okay, now let's begin to have a think about how, how they would receive this and how they were working through. So the leaders, they're part of the ruling class, these guys. They've had land handed down to them. They are probably, quite a few of them, um, you know, in that situation where they had farms that had tenants on them. And so at the beginning they were thinking, yeah, man, when you have awkward tenants who, who don't pay you your, your, your fruit allowance, you know, that's a really hard problem. So maybe at the beginning they were putting themselves in that position. But then the picture starts to turn upside down, as Jesus often does, upside down kingdom. Here we go. He shows them they were tenants. They were entrusted with looking after God's vineyard and specifically his people, and they have failed. Both in their taking of power to themselves, and many times in Jesus, really, the Pharisees, why you have taken it to yourselves? Why, why aren't you good shepherds, you know? But also in not recognizing, here's a key, not recognizing the new age coming in, the new time coming in, that the Messiah is there before them. And again, he, he really has goes with them previously about this. You haven't seen what's happening, you know? 
Now, the response of the crowd to the vineyard being taken away is very interesting. It's a very, very strong reaction. God forbid. In, in the language there, it's like, horror? No way. You can't take the vineyard away. So why were they so shocked? Um, this could be a common situation, a very common situation, where, where tenants are misbehaving. And it would be understood in the harsh law of the time, if, especially if they killed a representative, that you would go and sort them out. You would go and kill the people who had killed, especially the situation, killed the son. So I don't think that's the bit they're freaking out about. They are freaking out about the idea that God would take his vineyard and give it to others. That is why they're... Whoa, 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 whoa! God forbid, strong. To take the vineyard from them and give it to others. They knew that this was all about Israel. It's inconceivable, surely, that God would give the kingdom away, that he would give it to others. That they would not be the chosen people because God had another plan. No, 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 no. What's going on? He can't do that to us. He wouldn't do that to us. We're the chosen people. That shock is there. Okay, so park that one. That's, that's Jesus really just almost like ripping stuff open here. Ripping stuff open. Let's look at Jesus in the parable. Jesus shows himself as the son. There's two main ways we get this, that Jesus is the son. There's a wordplay in the Hebrew, in the Aramaic uh, sort of language, between stone and sun. It's a cornerstone sun. But there's, an, there's a key thing in verse 13 when it says, the, the owner says, whom I love. I will send my son whom I love. Now that's an echo of what he said at the baptism of Christ. And also in the language there, there's, there's, there's the idea this is a special son, an only son. So the clues are all there in the language. And that's why they get so knocked, the Pharisees are getting so knocked at the end because they see what he's doing. So what Jesus said, he knows that they're planning to kill him. And now they know that he knows. It's one of those things going on. Do you see what's happening here? This is why, the, this is why these stories are so worthy of you really looking into them. Uh, I didn't know any of this before. I'm just going to say that. I don't go wrong with this, but you study it and it's amazing. Oh, yeah, it makes sense. Okay. And there's a prophetic thing in there. Did you notice they're going to be killed outside the vineyard? There's again a prophetic thing. He's going to be killed outside Jerusalem. Isn't he? And then, I'm going to pace up and down a bit just to show the dramatic effect of what's about to happen. Then, he's got that story there, right? That's pretty heavy going. He's already said, you know, that wouldn't the owner just take it and give it to others and they're just doing their heads in and, and you're going to kill the son and they're working all out. And then he quotes Psalm 118. And he talks about the cornerstone. And this is now a world-changing moment. It's difficult to over-egg this particular pudding. The stone the builders rejected, you rejected the sun, has become the cornerstone. Hold that there. What is a cornerstone? Okay, let's have a building lesson. A cornerstone in Scripture is one of two things. It's either the keystone. So if you imagine an arch, the keystone would be the center one. And the whole thing doesn't hold up until that's put in there. Yeah, they build it all in a frame. They stick that one in. And because it's a triangle shape, bang, it locks. Ancient technique. That's, that's, it's really called the capstone. It's a very important one. But I think, and most of the commentators I read think it's actually a cornerstone, which is a massive stone placed at the corner 
of the base of the building and which the two walls are aligned from. Okay? In other words, the whole building is going to go to pot if the cornerstone isn't there properly. And of course, cornerstones are normally laid with, with a bit of honor, with a bit of ceremony. You know, you see them at Corden's buildings. You go down, uh, you know, big things down in the civic center to say, you know, laid by, you know, such, such and such, because it's, it's a very important thing. That is Jesus. He's saying, not only you rejected the cell and the vineyard's gonna be given to others, but the one you rejected is the key to the whole new plan, system, kingdom, whatever you want to call it, that's coming in. It's not going anywhere without Jesus. If Jesus is not the cornerstone, it will fall. And, of course, I've got to stay here. We're going to come back to this, but this is true of life. This is not just history we're looking at. Oh, God is so good. God is so good. He's so clear. Hallelujah. Okay, it's all about Jesus. Sorry, I'm very, very, very thirsty today. Don't know why. Okay. Um, all right, I told you about that. It's all about Jesus. So after pointing out that the leaders of, of Israel, the tenant farmers, have rejected it, he says, this is the, the new one, all right? This, this is the new one. And this is the stone you're going to have to deal with at some point. In other words, he doesn't just say, I'm a cornerstone. He takes it to a different level. He adds to that. Because the psalm says, the stones the builder rejected become the cornerstone. He says, if you fall on it, you'll be broken. And if it falls on you, you'll be crushed. Now that, that all seems a bit scary, doesn't it? And you'd think there'd be a third option, like if you walk around it, you'll be fine. <laughs> there isn't a third option. Isn't that interesting? You either fall on it or it falls on you. Remember, again, the situation, he's in the temple. This is big, big stuff. He's releasing these massive statements of how the future is going to look in his place. He's looking beyond the cross, beyond the resurrection. Okay? It's the stone that they will need to deal with at some point. The Pharisees will. They will need to deal with this at some point. They're going to deal with it by trying to get him killed. And actually, that will be part of God's plan, but separate. They're either going to fall on it. I'm going to say this. I'm going to repeat myself quite a bit here because I wanted to get this. They're going to fall on it and be broken or they're going to have it fall on them and be crushed. At some point, they need to deal with the Messiah, Jesus, as does everyone. Jesus is the word of God. Everyone needs to deal with Jesus. He is the cornerstone, not just in this relatively small but important town 2,000 years ago. He is the cornerstone of history. The meaning is clear. If you don't fall on the stone now and you're broken because of repentance, there will come a time when the stone will land on you and you'll be crushed. If you don't fall and repent, sorry, if you fall and repent, you'll be broken and you'll be rebuilt. God will rebuild you. But if you decide you don't need a savior, you don't need God's plan. I'm going to do it my own way. There will be a time, either in this life or at the judgment, when you will know the other side of it. Look, he's a God of love. You know, you know I preach a lot on the God of love. But his love is based on justice and truth. You see, God had been very patient with Israel. 
But now, you know, the age of grace is coming. And right the way through the history of Israel, he's been so gracious. Honestly, man, you look through the Old Testament, fail, fail, sorry, redeem, fail, sorry, redeem. You know, all the way through, he's been so patient. Now he said, the time is up. The time is up. The Messiah's here. And now I'm opening it all out. Jesus is the cornerstone, the center of God's plan to build a temple of people. This is why he's, he's gone to the temple to basically say it's the end of this. Because a temple is going to be built of people. The church. The people, not that. This. That he fills with his spirit. 1 Corinthians 3. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's spirit lives among you, in you, with you. I'm going to look at two applications here. I'm going to look at individuals. All right, so that's basically the teaching. Just going to be the applications now. I've gone over a bit. Um, quickly, individuals. One thing that really struck me when I read this story was the corrupting power of sin and the development of sin. So when you look at the way the tenants dealt with the servants, the first, set, the first servant just got a bit of a beating. Say, get lost. The second one, they dishonored. Now, that is massive in this culture. Don't just think... They bad-mouthed him and sent him away. Honor and shame. I preached on this a while ago. Honor and shame in this culture is massive. If they dishonored and shamed that bloke and beat him up, they would have affected his life drastically. The third one, they wound. They've taken it to another level. They've now decided they've got a weapon and they've gone in and they've cut him. Who knows what level of wounding? Maybe he died of his wounds. And the fourth one, they killed they killed the son. Do you see, there's a progression there. Here's a warning. Sin will increase. Don't think you can build a safe place in your life for sin. It will increase. It will increase. You have power over it to the extent where you can bring it to Jesus. And his power can release you from any bondage. But don't think... I'll just keep it quiet and keep a lid on it because it will not stay there. In the Old Testament, there's a warning. Uh, I can't remember who it was to. It was right back in Genesis where it says, it says, sin is crouching at the door and it will destroy you unless you deal with it. Okay? You need to repent. You need to go to the rock, the cornerstone, and throw yourself on his mercy. Ask him to forgive, to break you, and rebuild you. Okay? If you fall on him asking for mercy. I love this idea of falling before the Lord. It's such a picture of humility. There's a picture in, in the Old Testament. Queen Esther, she falls before the king asking for him to have mercy on her people. It's such a beautiful picture. Um, it's, it's, not, it's, it's like falling on your knees. It's not, it's not just a, a physical thing in the sense of, of outward. It's, it's about the heart. Obviously, it's about the heart. But that idea of just falling. When you fall, you're pretty helpless. And that's what it's like with Jesus. You don't need to bring anything to show off or impress him. You just need to fall before him and say, Lord, I've messed up, whatever. He will sift us. He'll remove the old traits. He'll crush them, helping us to become new in the power of the Spirit. But if you reject his mercy, there will be a judgment. Because otherwise, it makes God to be a liar and, and to sort of treat him as a sort of clown. He won't. He won't. He would never do that. He loves me too much. Love is strong and love is tough and love wants the best. That's what the love of God is like. Okay, what are the lessons for the church from this? Now, this is what I gave you a bit of a heads up earlier. 
Because, Woody, I do think this is something you need to consider. And you just got to trust my heart that that's what, that's what I feel the word is coming out here. God is always moving. God is always moving. And that the challenges for us as individuals and, and gatherings is to keep in step with him. These leaders had not obeyed him, as we said earlier, for a couple of reasons. They'd not recognized God as moving, changing the focus of life from the temple to Christ. Here's a, a quote from uh, a guy called Daryl Bock, one of the main commentators I use in this. This passage warns us about not presuming on God's promise. In effect, the tenants thought the vineyard was theirs forever, but they were mistaken. God came to the vineyard looking for produce, and all he got was hostility and grief. Presuming on God will bring judgment. Those who are in the vineyard must build up the body and honor God with the fruit he seeks. Okay? That's a really good quote. The church is always vulnerable to this very situation. If God moves and they don't, or they assume God will always bless, or they presume God will always bless, whatever, or they become complacent about the gospel, Christ warns that he will remove a church. He said it to Ephesians in Revelation 2. He said, if you don't change, I will remove you. This is not about eternal security. It's not about salvation. It's about him saying, this church is not obeying me, the, the, the Lord of the church. Now, I'm only saying that for a full picture of Scripture. I'm not saying that about Woody, all right? Don't, don't read me wrong here. Don't add stuff I'm not saying. All I'm saying is it is a serious business to be those who say we represent Christ and we're walking with him. There are churches in Wales that were once thriving. There are churches in Wales. I can take you 10 miles up the valley. Churches born in revival, born in the power of God that are now dead at a homes or a shoe factory or whatever, whatever. Why is that? Was, that? was it God's will to say, no, I'm going to build them all, I'm going to close them? It's because God is always moving. And if you try to build where he has been for a while and stay there and he moves, that's when it gets tricky. We just can't presume on him saying, oh, he loves us so much he would never judge us or our church. He is the Lord of the church. He paid for all of the church with his blood. Being the temple of the Holy Spirit is a serious destiny. He is a God of grace. He is a God of grace. He is a God who works by his Holy Spirit. He is a God who moves with his people. He talks with his people. He guides his people through the word. He is very patient. He works with his people. But his people need to walk with him. I'm going to, quote, I'm going to finish with two quotes from two famous Christians. One is William Temple, who is an amazing preacher and Archbishop of of Canterbury said, it's a familiar quote, but I don't think we've ever really thought about it. The church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not its members. There's the upside down kingdom right in there, isn't there? And finally, this thought from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was an amazing pastor killed by the Nazis. The church is the church only when it exists for others, not dominating, but helping and serving. It must tell men and women of every calling what it means to live for Christ, to exist for others. Amen. Okay, I'm just going to commit that to the Lord, okay? Father, would you take that word and whatever is from me, would you just discard? And if there's anything you are speaking through that, Lord, would you bless and break the bread and feed your people? Father, I just pray that you would, you would uh, work by your Holy Spirit on our hearts. You would keep us humble before you, 
open before you. And I do ask you, Father God, that you would enable us to come before Jesus and bring anything that needs to be broken and have you break it. And we just fall on your mercy, Lord. And have you rebuild us in your love and in the power of your spirit. And I ask, Father, in Jesus' name, if there's anybody here or watching that doesn't know you, Lord, that is almost in danger of that of the rock falling on them, that you would speak to them, Lord, and you would show them Jesus. And you would enable them to lay, their, to lay themselves before you and see and feel and know what an amazing God you are. In Jesus' name.